0: Well, good day there and welcome to the Oak City Church podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today for another encouraging message from our Sunday gatherings of Oak City Church. If we can connect with you in any way, please see us at oakcitychurch.com.au or check out our socials online. We hope to see you in person soon. Well, good morning, Oak City and uh, others who may be watching this morning great to be with you to continue this series of messages on the book of Ephesians Um, today looking at the first six verses of chapter 4 last week there was a somewhat surprising selection of a player in the Wallabies team to play against the Springboks and I suppose that the result of the game And the way in which that particular player played in the game meant that he proved himself worthy of being called up into the team. To be worthy of something is to show that you deserve the opportunity or the accolades that you get. Well, Paul says to us in this passage... To live a life that is worthy of the calling that we have received. Now that immediately raises two questions in my mind. The first is, what is our calling? And the second is, what does it mean to live a life that is worthy of that calling? So let's have a look at the first of those questions. What, What is our calling? Now, in in conversation, when we use that word calling, we are usually talking about uh, what we do with our lives. In other words, a career or something like that. But that's not what Paul has in mind here. Paul is actually referring back to something that he has talked about previously in this letter. The word therefore or, or then or so then at the beginning of This paragraph tells us that Paul is trying to draw something out of something that he's already said. Now, in fact, he's picking up where he left off in the first verse of chapter 3 before he got sidetracked. And really, chapter 3 is one big sidetrack, an amazing sidetrack and a very relevant sidetrack, but a sidetrack nevertheless. So Paul is actually referring back to something that he wrote about in chapter 2. And let let me remind you about that. He talked about us being drawn near to God in Christ. About being citizens of God's kingdom. Members of God's family. And a spiritual building or house in which God lives. But but the thing about all of that is that none of that was an individual invitation. It was all a collective invitation. We are drawn near to God together and hence drawn near to each other. We are fellow citizens of God's kingdom and fellow members of God's household. We are being built together into a spiritual temple in which God dwells. And then when we go over into chapter 3, Paul talks about being members together of the body and sharers together in the promises. So our calling is not so much what we do with our lives, but it is who we are together. We are called into a community or into a unity. And Paul hammers the point home in verses 4 to 6 where he says there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. One. Now I would love to spend time reflecting on all of those things this morning but we just don't have the time so let's just take a couple one God and Father last time I spoke I had the opportunity to talk about being members of God's family and particularly being children of God and here's the thing in God's family we we are not an only child So if I am a child of God, and Charlie's a child of God, and Taryn's a child of God, and Courtney's a child of God, then we are all children together in the one family. We are brothers and sisters in this family, and we belong together. Now look, I know from personal experience, both as a child and as a parent, That children squabble. Siblings squabble. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we all belong together, we're bound together, uh, in a way that we are not bound together or belong to the kids who live next door or the children that we go to school with. We are part of A single family. We belong together. And perhaps we need to think also about who our our big brother is. It's Jesus. And in Hebrews 2, the writer says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. So if we are part of this one family and Jesus is our big brother, maybe we ought to think a little bit more about treating one another. The way that our big brother Jesus treats us. Or treating one another. The way that we would treat our big brother Jesus. There's one body. And that's a theme that Paul expands on a little bit more in this chapter. And develops more fully in 1 Corinthians 12. There's one body. And the whole point. Of, of the image of the body is that it's a unit, a unity. Yes, sure, there are, there are many different parts and each part has its unique function and its unique place in the body. But its function and its place serves the body as a whole. It doesn't exist just on its own. It contributes to the functioning of and to the health of The whole body. In other words, in this body, which the the Bible calls the body of Christ, in this body, we belong together. We need each other. We belong together. We are a a unit, a, a single living organism. We belong together. Now we could go on through these verses and talk about each one of those ones that paul talks about but we we don't have time and we would still come to the inescapable conclusion that our calling is a calling into community into unity but we now have to ask the question what does it mean to live in a way that is worthy of that calling Well, thankfully, Paul actually tells us what he means. He says, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So if we are called to be one, if we are called into community, if we are called into unity, then we need to find ways of giving expression to that in the way that we engage with each other. You see, we don't don't have to create this unity. It's already there. It's created by the Holy Spirit. And so if the Holy Spirit lives in me, and the Holy Spirit lives in Chris, and the Holy Spirit lives in Robin, and the Holy Spirit lives in Lucy, then of necessity we are bound together by an unbreakable bond. The same spiritual DNA runs through us all and holds us together. We don't have to create that. It's there. Our task is to give expression to it. And Paul gives us some pointers as to how we can do that. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, forbearing with one another in love I I love the way that Paul describes humility in Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 he says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility let each of you regard the other as more important than yourself Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So humility is not about the way that we regard ourselves in comparison to others. Humility is the priority that we give to others and the way in which we treat others. I'm a huge fan of Bugs Bunny. And there are a couple of characters in Bugs Bunny, uh, the Goofy Gophers, called Mac and Tosh, who who epitomise this attitude. So Mac and Tosh are walking together, and they come to a doorway, and they can't fit through. And so one of them will step back and say, you first. And the other one will say, no, 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 you first. And the first one will say, no, I insist, you first. The second one will say, no, I insist, you first. Humility is my willingness to step back and say to you, you first. How can I serve you? What can I do? to help make your day a little bit better. I learned that last question from the marriage course, by the way. The helping hand that we give to somebody when they're struggling is a way of giving expression to our community and our unity. The little acts of kindness we do and the generosity that we show they are ways of expressing our unity and community. But perhaps the deepest expression of that unity and community comes when there are challenges, there are roadblocks that are put in our way. And what I mean by that is when somebody does something or says something that uh, tempts us to respond in a judgmental or angry way. Someone might fail, for example. And we all fail, by the way. But when someone fails, particularly if they fail badly, our inclination is to be judgmental. How could you do that? And then to push them away, to hold them at a distance. Well, Paul says, rather than doing that, let's walk a different path. Let's be gentle and patient with them. Let's continue to hold out the welcoming arms of the Father to embrace those people. Sometimes people do things or say things that hurt us. And our immediate reaction is we want to retaliate, to get angry, to... to cut off the relationship of course there's a different way that we can handle that show forbearance interesting word isn't it forbearance now you've heard i imagine of the expression short-tempered it means that it doesn't take very much for a person to react in anger Well, the word that Paul uses here could could be translated long-tempered, macro-tempered, in fact. It's talking about the willingness to to hold off and to hold off and to hold off and to hold off and to keep holding off, reacting in anger and retaliation. In fact, it's not just about putting up with any hurt. It's about an active forgiveness of those hurts. Later on in this chapter, Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. There's a movie that we've seen. It's called Pay It Forward. And the central character in the movie is a boy who believes that the world would be a better place if people learned to pay it forward. Now, what he meant by that is that when someone does something kind or nice to you, you then go out and you do something kind or nice for three other people. In other words, you don't pay the kindness back, you pay it forward. Well, Jesus invites us to pay forgiveness forward. You see, Jesus has forgiven us and we can't pay that back. You know, we didn't deserve it in the first place, but we can't pay it back. But Jesus invites us to pay it forward, to be willing to forgive others for the hurts that they have done to us in the same way that he has forgiven us. We are living in some rather unique times, some difficult times. Being in lockdown there are challenges to the way in which we can express our Christian faith and our community. One of the things that struck me as soon as I started reading this passage during the week was that when Paul was writing this letter he was in lockdown. Yes he was in lockdown. He was in prison in fact. But the thing is that Paul didn't frame his lockdown by reference to the the government decisions that put him there or the circumstances that put him there. He frames his lockdown with reference to Jesus. He says, I'm a prisoner in the Lord. It didn't matter how he got there. Everything he did while he was there was framed around what Jesus wanted of him. So I'm inviting you to reframe your lockdown, to invite Jesus into that space and to reflect on what it might mean for us to experience and to express our unity and community as part of Oak City Church despite what's going on around us and to find ways in Jesus' name to bring blessing and grace into the lives of others. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have first shown love and grace to us, and that you've called us not just to experience that from you, but to express it in our lives and particularly in our community life as part of of the body of Christ. We invite you, Lord, to give us the wisdom and the grace. To know how to negotiate the difficult times that we are facing. And yet still to give expression to our faith and to our love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.